Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we ditch the hiking trail for the uncharted path. We're about the raw journeys and unvarnished truths. Life's a climb, and there's always a higher peak. Your guide? It's me, David Wolf. So strap up your boots and grab your hiking stick as we adventure together each week Beyond the Summit. <laughs> Very so, cool. who knows where this one could go because uh robin you have you know me longer than most people i will have on the podcast uh here's what i can say nobody has ever shown me how to toilet paper our house or a car better than you we turn some blue convertibles into white and we pissed off a lot of parents, didn't we? We we did, but it was all in good fun, and uh, and they loved us anyway. Because how could they not, David? That's right. I mean, how could you not? And then later in our, our friendship, um, I think without going into too many details, we could just say Robin held my head as I laid on the concrete sidewalk in late November, very very cold night. Uh, holding my head as I was throwing up on the sidewalk while two police officers approached us on uh, my birthday, my 21st birthday. That's what friends are for. That is what friends are for. And the police officers laughed with us. They they were laughing with you, not at you. <laughs> I promise. I asked them. They told me. I believed them. I don't remember, but I will trust I, you. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> We haven't seen each other in a long time. It's got to be over 10 years since we've last seen each other because I was still working for the limousine company. Probably. So Robin and I have this uh, old friendship. We we never went to each other's weddings only because we had to get married one day apart. So there's that. By the way, uh, happy so anniversary. Were... What's that? Oh, yeah, we just had our anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. We but, just right? had anniversary. Thank you. So did we. 22 yeah. years we've both been married. Right. I'm always going to be a day ahead of you. <laughs> We are old. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we've gotten a little bit older. So there's that. But we're still doing great. So I, and, and I guess, you know, and you know, I always thought you'd like resented me for not coming to my wedding and me not going to yours. I always thought there was that. No, never, never, ever, ever. I think we were at each other's weddings in spirit. Yes, we were. I did think about you. Like, can't believe she didn't come to my wedding. Day before her, she had nothing going on. Somebody TP'd our limo when I thought about you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that would have been pretty fun, though. Uh, so the the thing is, so we had such a fun childhood. We had some uh, we had a, a group of friends. There was like four or five other people that hung out with us. And um, we just always did, we, we had good, clean fun. You know, we were never we, we never did drinking in high school. Right. We saved that for college. <laughs> um, we certainly never did any drugs. At least I didn't. I don't know if you guys did. Nope. I saved that for college. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, we were in high school, but we were were all totally clean, but fun. I I always looked at high school as that was the fun part for me because, you know, with any other friends, I was the one that stayed sober. So I had a million great stories. I think I blackmail on so many of my friends from high school and even college because of that. So it's, it's, it's fun. We were we were good, man. We were a good fun bunch. Yeah, we were. We our fun was like we would go bowling all the time. We would go eat out all the time. We ate out a lot. We did. Actually, we ate quite a bit out. But we just had good, clean fun. It was it was fun. Yeah. Um, and the, the and, and 
I always thought if I had to guess in high school, what would you become? I always thought it would have been a comedian. Oh, that's funny. You're very good at, at uh, improvisational theater. You were in theater. And heck, we watched so many Mel Brooks movies. I, I lost count. So I really thought you would go into comedy, but you took a different route. When did you be, uh, decide to become a motivational speaker? Yeah. So it, it's actually, it's it's more close to what you were thinking than not, which is interesting because so often, you know, we, we follow a path and then we look backwards and we go, oh, it makes perfect sense how we got here. It didn't as you're driving through it, of course. But, uh, you know, I in high school and even into college, I did a lot of theater, did a lot of improv, have always adored the ability to have a sense of humor because I think to me that's one of the most important things to be able to continue being happy and healthy and just have just enjoy life and not let it get to you too much even when things are going wrong which they always will um, a healthy sense of humor to me is more important than anything and what I realized going into college and then beyond was I I didn't necessarily want to do theater or or comedy or do something like that where I got up on stage, but I loved that idea of performing. And the the piece that I realized I I just absolutely loved was getting up in front of a group of people and sharing some things with them in sort of a light, fun way and having them go, wait a minute, I never thought about it like that before. That changes everything. And what that turned into was motivational speaking, confidence coaching, you know, with people and those types of things. And that's the route that I started to take. And I realized, wait a minute, I can get up in front of people and make them think a little differently than ever before. And it has an incredibly positive impact on their life. And I can give them things to walk out the door with start using that actually completely changes everything about what they're doing just by making a couple of little shifts with what they were thinking, because so much of it's that self-talk and what's inside of our heads. Um, and when you can manage that conversation in your head a little differently, boy, can you just get things accomplished, which is pretty amazing. So that's the the short story of that, of how I got there. They're actually not that different. I still love getting up in front of people and making them laugh and smile. And the difference is, Instead of having a fun time and letting them walk out the door and go, well, that was fun. I laughed. They walk out the door and go, well, that was fun. And I've got this toolbox full of stuff that is going to do amazing things for me in my life now if I just start doing them. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you know, the the title of this podcast is Living Stress-Free, right? And uh, you're going to talk about that. And you have so many topics. Robin actually has... Uh, a website. I'm going to put a link to that website in the comments. Uh, also, a YouTube uh, uh, channel as well, where she's got a lot of YouTubes. Actually, if you go to the website, all those YouTubes seem to be there as well. Anyhow, a lot of them. Um, yeah. And uh, I think the YouTube channel and the website are called the One Minute Mindset. Or is that just the that's just the videos? Yeah. So One Minute Mindset is the name of my company. So you can go to One Minute Mindset on YouTube. Or if you go in and just type in Robin Sachs, you'll you'll see me there. Uh, same thing if you Google Robin Sachs, you'll be able to pull up the website and uh, and any company stuff too. Right, RobinJSachs.com. Thank you, sir. There you go. And so, yeah, so a lot of topics, and I'm sure I could have Robin on at least a dozen times, but at some point she's going to make me start paying. And because we don't have a Patreon set up or any sponsors just yet, yet. that's just not nothing. Yet we'll, we'll, we're getting there. <laughs> so let's talk about living stress free. How do I live stress free? I don't have any stress in my life, just a little I, bit. Nobody does. I mean, I don't like living up at five o'clock this working uh, this morning, working on a podcast, working to promote the podcast that just came out today. I've got my daughter. I got to take to to the doctors. I've got stuff to do for work. Why would I have any stress? Yeah. So. So uh, one of the things with stress is we always look at stress, first of all, as bad. And we don't need to get too deep into it now, but I would invite and encourage everybody listening to go learn a little bit about what's called U-stress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, U-stress. And U-stress is something that has come out of the, the positive psychology 
philosophy over the last 20, 25 years or so. And essentially what you stress is, is the positive aspects of stress. And so one of the first things that I like to share with people is just this idea of step back and let's look at stress from a bigger picture. Because what we typically, all of us, think of stress as is that thing we don't like, the thing that makes us feel overwhelmed and anxious and all of those things that that are never helpful to us. So one of the keys with stress is we call it stress management, not stress elimination, because we don't need to get rid of it. The thing that we need to get rid of or at least manage more, because it'll always be there, is that negative stress. And I'll, I'll let me give you just a couple of ideas of what this is. When I say stress, what, what are the first things that comes to mind, Dave? My kids. Okay. Maybe work. What else? Maybe a customer. Love it. Um, just all the things that I want to perfect in my life that there's there's things pushing me away to being able to do such. Not that my kids need to be perfected, but sometimes they're pushing against me and, and um, I, I feel that anxiety building up in my in my my forehead and the blood rushing through through to me and and uh, you know, maybe my my breathing starts to change a little bit. Yeah, definitely. all spot on. And you know, you think about it, our kids, our work, right? Family could be partners or spouses, could be, uh, you know, uh, the weather, the traffic, the stock market, right? There's a million things we could list if we keep listing. And the interesting thing, when I ask people what is stressful in your life, notice that pretty much 99.9% of the time, it's stuff outside of us. And the interesting thing about stress is we create a good deal of our stress, but we never think about us being part of the equation. So life isn't just about what's coming at us. Life is about how we're choosing to respond to what's coming at us. And if you think about it, have you ever been driving on the highway? You either do this or you know someone who does this. You're driving down the highway and everything's perfectly fine. And all of a sudden somebody cuts in front of you and you have to slam on your brakes. At that moment in time, and we have dozens of these moments every single day, you have two possible responses. There are no more. Response choice number one, which I'm not even going to call the response. I'm going to call it reaction, is you slam on the brakes. And, and what happens? You start yelling and whatever you say, right? And, and gesturing and stuff. And sometimes you get so worked up within moments that you have to like pull up next to the person just to look at them. Right? I mean, you think about the way people react, right? The interesting thing is... I'm laughing because I think, like, when I look at them, it's so I can see what stupidity looks like. Exactly. I always think, I'm like, but that's what stupidity looks like. Right? And then if they're not looking back because they don't even realize, right, I was in a blind spot. They don't know what was going... I'm even more angry that they're not looking at me, right? It becomes this right. personal thing. And it takes our stress level from here to here within a moment. Now, the, the interesting thing is, I said two, two different responses. The second response could have been, glad I was paying attention, and move on with my day. Now, the irony with stress is, and when I say we create a great deal of our stress, not 100%, that would be ridiculous, right? There are challenging situations and challenging people and challenging things and challenging issues with my time and all that. Not 100%. But so much of our stress gets created because we react instead of respond. So with that example, if I react in that first way, here's what happens. And you mentioned a few of these things. In that moment, that person didn't kick me into a stress mode. I kicked me into a stress mode by reacting instead of responding. And what happens within a moment is your brain, because your brain's job isn't to keep you happy. Your brain's job is to keep you safe. And so if I slam on my brakes and start yelling at the person, my brain hits the little panic button and says, hey, we got danger, problem, tension, lot, something big is going on. And we kick ourselves into what we call fight or flight today. And instantly what happens is, like you said, Dave, our breathing gets high and shallow, right? It goes from nice belly breathing kind of up here because stress breathing is all in our chest. You know, when we get worried or scared, if we if we get too stressed, it goes up into our throat and we hyperventilate. 
a bunch of your blood rushes from all your vital organs out to your extremities because you got to get ready to do one of two things, fight or flight. And so your brain puts you in a mode. The, the other thing that, that shuts down completely in fight or flight is your logical thinking shuts down. And your brain does that intentionally because, you know, this response goes back to caveman days. In caveman days, you're sitting in your cave and a big animal walks by who's going to eat you. You see the animal, the animal sees you, and your brain hits the panic button. And the reason logical thought goes away when there's true danger is because there's no time in that instance to go, well, I guess I could run. I could stay in fight. You don't have time to think. So your brain just takes that ability away, which is why, interestingly, if you're in a stressful situation, it's hard to retrieve things, even if you've practiced it a hundred times or thought about it or know the answer. But as soon as you walk out the door, you go, oh, I should have said that. So that's part of fight or flight. When our anxiety and stress go up because of fight or flight, we can't think clearly. Our brains get foggy. So what happens in that moment is that person who cut us off didn't create that. I created that by reacting instead of responding. So we kick ourselves into fight or flight, i.e. we're in stress mode, probably 50% easily of the times that we are stressed because we're not we're, we're focused on everything outside of us, which by the way, how much of that can we control really? Not much. And we don't go inside going, wait, I have total control. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing I have control over is how I'm going to choose to respond to this. So fight or flight kicks in with that initial, oh, no, or this isn't good, or this is a bad situation. But in that next moment is when you get to choose. And if you're on autopilot, you're not going to choose. You're just going to react. If you're in a place where you can choose... Oh, I can stop fight or flight as quickly as it came in. But how do I create that space? And that's that's part of we can talk about. There's several different ways to do that. The interesting thing also that happens with fight or flight, you know, it, again, I mentioned we, we've had that response since caveman days, and we still have it because if there is a true threat to your safety, you want that kicking in, no question. The challenge today is our brains can't always tell the difference between a threat to our safety and a threat to our self-esteem, which is why things like the person cutting you off often can help us go into there quickly. It wasn't some personal attack, but that's how we grabbed it and held on to it, right? It's like somebody woke up this morning and said, hey, Robin's going to be on I-90 at about three o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to go wreck her day. Nobody's doing that, right? Nobody is doing that. But we feel like everything is a personal attack. It's not. That's us creating the stress, not the thing outside of us. So we have a lot of control over managing this conversation in our own head to help us mitigate that stress so it never gets too high. It doesn't have to go away. We don't have to eliminate it. We just need to keep it in this manageable place where I can work with this and even use it to my advantage sometimes. So that's the basis of how to think about stress a little bit differently. It's not always everybody else. Sometimes it's me. And that's a great thing to know because I can do something about that pretty quickly. And that's that's so important too. Like I'm thinking about the car. The quickest and easiest way to, for me, is when I do do something stupid in the car and I go, yeah, that was my bad. And then the next time it happens that someone cuts me off or maybe they've got their cell phone right in front of their face as they're driving, I remember back to my stupid thing. And I'm like, yeah, they're only human. Right. And- Hopefully they don't do that or hurt somebody in the process. Exactly. So Robin, as you said, there's that type of stress in the case of a car, or I'll say, maybe I'm not happy with what our government or our president's choices are today, or closer to home, maybe I'm not happy and I'm stressed out because once again, the Cleveland Browns lost under seven points and they could have won that game if they have only done this and there's that stress. But I kind of actually alluded a little bit to the other type of stress which is stress that maybe is closer to me, the things that I care about more, okay? I don't care about the person that just cut me off because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to forget that even happened. And probably me personally, 
I think one of the biggest, I, I try to be the best father I can. Lord knows my wife is an amazing mother and our kids love us and respect us and they appreciate everything we do. But I still know I still fall short. And one of the things that has been a challenge for me, especially years ago, was the stress level that I had and the way that I uh, put my stress back out onto the kids or lose my temper. Okay. I'm just going to be completely transparent here. Sure. Um, but there's that type of stress with how do I funnel that back out my stress to the family or being stressed out about career. And the last thing I would say is money. Money is a huge stressor. And I'm not saying that we all have to be rich, but at least have the money that we want so that we are comfortable in meeting our personal goals and things that we want to do. So how are some of the ways that we can you know, in the key to that moment, let's go back to the kids. Cause for me, that's been the biggest challenge of all is my kids may say something or in today's world, it's different. Oh my gosh, this will go different than it was when we were our kid age. Okay. I hate to say, that. oh, did you see that great, that another great here just came out of my head, but it's like they'll act or they'll say something to them. It's norm because they see that on TikTok or Instagram. And for me, it's a it's that that fight response that you said, and I'm fighting back because I don't want my kids to be acting like the person that they saw on TikTok doing X, Y, or Z. I want them to have the morals and values that I hope I was raised with. And um, I guess how do when when that when that red gets in my eyes and I just get that fury, it's the best way to handle that. Yeah, and it's, I'm glad you're bringing this up because that's something everyone listening can relate to, right? Because those are the things we care most about, interestingly enough, are the things that often stress us the most or create the most stress or anxiety or nerves or fear, you know, all of those all fill in the blank with the, with the feeling of the moment. But, you know, two things. One, when we care, we have a tendency as human beings to move toward that whole perfectionism thing. Because when we care, our brain almost goes into this, this idea that, well, there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. And you're, we need to do it the right way. And, and because of that, I need to push the wrong way really far away. And, you know, a, a healthy way to look at that is some things are going to pull you to one end or the other, no question. However, most things sort of live in the middle here. And if that the autopilot or the habit is to always go to black and white thinking, right? Or to always go to it's good or it's bad and that's it. We miss the opportunity to, to teach in this middle. We miss the opportunity to go when something is out here or out here. Here are the things I want you thinking about to make a better decision to get you a little closer to this middle ground. And so, you know, the, the things we care most about are the things that tend to create the most anxiety. And again, you can fill in the blank with whatever emotion is there. So, this is easier said than done, but it's one of those things that if you start to practice it, you'll find very quickly how it makes a big difference. Um, number one, I will always start with is if something is absolutely toxic, oh, we're going here or here very quickly. So one of the things is, again, let's use parent as an example, but this can be with so many relationships in your life, including with yourself. You know, if my kid is doing something that I see is truly toxic, whether it's something they're watching, something they're they're participating in, something that a friend I'm noticing is doing and kind of pulling them into that, that's going to get addressed as here's, and, and again, it's going to get addressed not so much in the moment because that's the human tendency is I want to grab them and pull them out of that right now and go, what are you thinking? Come on, man, that's not what you do and start really kind of, observe would be the first thing, pull them out of that, and by themselves, we're going to have a talk. And instead of kind of going into, which it's so easy to do and so human to do because we care so much and we know it's wrong or we know that's not a good situation, to immediately go into, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Really poor choices. And the way that the message gets received, even if it's said a little softer than that, is... I'm messing up, you're mad at me, you're disappointed in me, and everything is me, 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 me. And all of a sudden, we've kind of pushed things away instead of pulling them in. And that's something that can easily happen. As opposed to if I sit down and say, 
you know, can I share something with you? I had a really good friend and I tell them a story or give them an example of something that did not have a good ending or something that I've seen or heard or read. Again, you, you don't lie to the kid or make things up, of course, but, you know, find some ways to be able to take it off of them and give them something to see how this can play out. Because in the moment, you know, even as adults, in the moment we do things because it's, it's, we like it, right? It feels good. It's an impulse buy. It's whatever it is. It's right then in there. And we were creatures of habit and we, we feel something and we act a lot of times without thinking. And so with kids, my, my whole thing would be, I would say, find opportunities to take that pressure off of them, but help them see how this plays out. Help them see what this turns into. Help them see in a softer way, you know, this is not going to be good or potentially. Or remember how you wanted to play basketball in high school? If you get involved with these kids and you get caught with something, you're done. You don't get to do the things you wanted to do, right? So, you know, when we're talking about effective communication with anything, the number one way to help somebody do what you would like them to do is to make them understand or realize why they would want to do what you want them to do. As parents, we often go, here's what I want you to do, or here's what you need to do, and we tell them. And parents that go to their wits end and they don't have a good reason, of course, end up saying things like, because I said so, right? There's no reason, which makes it even more ridiculous, right? And, and I've accomplished nothing. I'm not going to motivate or persuade the kid to do anything or an adult. Again, this is just humans in this way. But if I can help them understand why they would want to do what I'm suggesting they do, people are much more apt to do it. So by helping the kid go, here's something you want, but if you get involved in that and you get caught, even if you're not doing anything, you don't get to do that. So I want you to think about, is it worth that? If you could never play this thing that you wanted to play or do this thing or go on this trip or whatever, because of that, is that worth it? And to give them the tools to really start thinking about simply making some good choices. You know, how do I make decisions when things are, boy, these are my friends, but I know this isn't the best choice. But how do I pull out of that if those are my friends? Teach them how to think like that. Teach them how to make decisions like that. Teach them that there are always choices and every choice you make, good or bad, has a consequence. It has a result. Every single choice, good or bad, has a result. And uh, that is easier said than done because, of course, our first inclination is to grab them and go, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Not good. So, you know, one of the greatest things as a parent, I got to say my, my brother-in-law, actually, when they had their first kid, I started hearing him say this, and I thought, yes, thank, that is amazing. He would let the kid do things. Obviously, if there was danger, he would jump in quickly. But most things are not dangerous, and that's the other thing, is most things are not so critically dangerous that we have to jump in as parents constantly. Let the kid make a mistake, right? Let the kid fail. Let the kid understand that not everything works out, and that's okay. That's okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes something better comes along. And that's okay. And even if it doesn't, whatever, what did you learn? You didn't fail. What did you learn from that experience? And the way that my brother-in-law always would say, what he would say to his kid was, he would let him do something. And then the kid would come back because he fell or did something or whatever. And he'd be crying and, and he'd go, I hurt myself on the whatever. And my brother-in-law would say, well, that wasn't a very good choice then, was it? What would have been a better choice? And what he taught his son was to stop and go, wait, I have control over my choices instead of everyone telling me what to do. Talk about empowering someone and giving someone some, some individual accountability early on. That's a gift we can give as parents to our children. Oh, my goodness. And again, most of our lives are not in danger but that stress feel makes it feel like we're constantly in this, this place of, of fear and danger. It's not. 
So if you can teach your kids that early, just by shifting how you approach it that way, the few words that you use, and again, the key of that is I have to be in control of me a little bit before I can give that gift to them. You, wow. Uh, it, it, I'm thinking so many different thoughts here. The first thing is, while well, we're just talking about kids and there's an, an, an infinite number of things we could talk about with stress. And I'm sure people are, that are listening to this are thinking, I need to talk to this lady. <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about how they can reach out to you for seminars and things like that. I don't even know if you do one-on-one coaching, which would be amazing. You do. Absolutely. That, that, we'll talk about that real quick. We'll come back to that. There's something you said that I really wanted to hit on that was so important. And I'm not gonna, I'm not sure if I'm going to use the exact words here, but you know, seeing how we'll say kids, because we're talking about kids, but this could be anybody else that's out there, your coworker, your your mother, your your family member, whoever, see how they're stressed or see what's stressing them. I think too often I find in my mind when my kids come to me and they say, I need to get this, okay, which has to do with what? Money. Okay. Let me tell you something. I should have bought stock in Lululemon a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> because we've got to keep up with the Joneses. And of course. So when they come and they say, I need this, well, for me, and I don't need too much. Okay. I really don't. I don't need toys, although those some toys out there interest me to get as as we get older and things that that my wife and I would love to have and to retire and travel or explore and enjoy. But that's not my biggest priority right now. My priority right now is getting enough money to put my kids through college. Okay. And every little dollar spent takes away from that goal. So I have my big goal and then they have their many little goals, which are important to them. And their little goals take away from my big goal, and that brings on stress, okay? So what you said there is important for people to listen is understand what the other person is saying is important to them or why it's stressing them out before immediately going into your reaction. My problem is I think I'm a pretty quick thinker. I think very fast on my feet in my own career. That's something that I think helps me to be successful. But I think when it comes to the people that are most important to me, it takes me a few seconds to sit there and think. And I think they even get frustrated, like, are you going to say something? And I'm like, give me a second. I'm working this out in my mind. So, yeah, but again, that's so important to do. And and David, you just hit on something too. And, you know, if there's, you know, if anybody listening is into, you know, a mantra or a phrase or right, those, sometimes those little things that we can just remind ourselves of and sort of strategically repeat in our minds I would say for what we're talking about right here, the key to be able to start doing this is there's power in the pause. And if you remember, there is power in the pause. The difference between reacting and responding is often one breath. And if you can start to embrace that pause and in any moment, just sit back and take a breath before you open your mouth, what comes out is often very different than what would have come out if I just opened my mouth and started talking. And there's I, there's an amazing Viktor Frankl quote. I'll, I'll send it to you if you want to put it in the notes. And I honestly, of course, it's a complete blank right now. I can't, it has something to do with, you know, in the space between, you know, thinking and talking or something like that, there's this space. And in that space, you have the power. That's You have the control right there. And it's your choice. It's your decision. And that little space is truly a game changer for people. So if you think about this power in the pause, and if you do nothing else with what you've heard on this podcast, I hope you do several things with some of these things or rethink things a little bit. But if there's one thing you take away, get in the habit of taking a breath before you open your mouth and talk, no matter what the conversation is. Because what that does is also instantly go from internal reacting to, to your point, David, let me observe for a moment. Let me see what is happening out there. Because, you know, when we talk about things like effective communication, which is sort of what we're talking about here, right? Stress has to do with how we're communicating with ourselves and how we're communicating with other people. 
And the, the built-in dilemma with that communication is we filter every communication we have in our head through our intent. I know what I mean. I know what I feel. I know what I want you to do. That It's all perfectly clear to me. So when it comes out, I don't understand when somebody else argues or, or says something differently because it makes sense in my head. But people outside of our head can't get in our head and see our intent. They have their own intent filter. They know how they're feeling, what they're going through, what's going on. That might have something to do with nothing that you're talking about in the moment that they're still thinking about or dealing with or working with right now. And so being able to keep your focus outward when you're communicating or when somebody is stressed or you're feeling stressed, remind yourself there's power in that pause that lets you observe them for a moment and remind yourself it's not always about me. What are they going through? What's going on right now? What are they thinking? Why are they acting like this? Right? There's, there's always a reason someone is behaving the way they are. And if you start to get curious about the why, as opposed to going inside and thinking all about ourselves, which is what we do, get curious about what's going on right now that's making them think this, feel this, say this, do this. And all of a sudden, you're in a place where you can do something about that. You can help without getting all riled up because it stays outside. It's not inside. What about helping other people manage their own stress? And I'm I'm excited because I was talking about this podcast and preparing for it with a friend of mine, my my buddy Greg, and he had a question he wanted you to ask. All right, go for it. Wanted me to ask. You can ask it if you want, but I don't know if you know. I heard what you meant. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it's in regards to how do I communicate better? Um. He wanted to know, how do I make a friendship work with someone from the opposite sex without big compu- uh, co- uh, complication? Okay, basically keeping it friend, male, female friendship without bringing sex into it. Okay. Right. How do I manage that? So how do I manage that? And so that it doesn't become stressful. So, so good question. And, you know, it's, it's. It's funny because we're going to go back to our high school group, right? We had we had males, females, all of us were, you know, just, and to my knowledge, there was nothing really that ever happened with anything. It was, they were true friendships and, you know, I, I'm not, I see your face, David. All right, good. No, I, I'm, thinking, I, no good. I, I mean, I'm thinking we can name some yeah. people. We can name Ryan. We can name Nicole. Nicole, <laughs> right? Yeah, there, there's. Uh, and I'm missing a Matt, and and there's Matt a lot. Matt Davidson, of- right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Doug, remember Doug, trumpet yes. player Doug. Yes, yeah, a little a little there, Doug. Um, there is a, but there was no relationships in that group. We were just all friends. Exactly, and it lasted all through high school. Right, Guys were we all stayed ugly. in touch. And- the girls weren't interested in us. We we're all ugly. <laughs> well, so <laughs> there's the answer. You just answered it. All right. So the answer to your friend platonic. is it was completely platonic. Exactly, exactly. And we've all stayed friends to this day, which is which is amazing. And again, to your point, you know, it's not like we're with each other all the time. We're all spread out all over the country. But, you know, even if we haven't heard from each other in a couple of years, it's amazing. You know, you you pick up the phone and it's like, David, hey, and it's, you know, and we do silly things like we do, you know, we, we start quoting Leslie Nielsen in Mel Brooks, right? Just it's like it was yesterday we were in high school bowling and eating at pizzazz, right? And, and that's the cool thing. And I, so thinking about that, I guess two things. Um, one, part of it has to do with, I don't know that, you know, between males and females, and again, I am not a relationship coach or, or know anything about that. I can only speak from, from personal experience. Um, you know, I, all of you guys I truly look at as like my brothers, right? There is just that that's how I look at you all. And part of that comes from, you know, very quickly we all became friends and then we went and we had fun. And then it was, you know, we would share things with each other. And, and, you know, I remember so many conversations about, Hey, there's this girl I like, what do you think? And it was almost like we used each other as sounding boards, 
And so the beauty of that and being able to be completely open and talk about those things, hey, there's this boy I like, hey, there's this girl I like, whatever, and getting the male-female perspective was, was a wonderful thing. And I don't know if that's the thing that contributed to there wasn't interest because we we focused our interests outside of the group, but we used the group as almost like this little board of directors that we could all go to. And if you think about relationships like that, friend relationships with that, I think that's what made all of our friend relationships that much stronger. You know, we could talk to each other about anything and sometimes did, <laughs> all right? And I it, this sounds so counterintuitive. I think the fact that we were all just always so open with each other and nothing was taboo, that created that friendship bond without creating the, oh my goodness, should we start dating any of us? And we think almost like, well, I don't want to share too much maybe because again, counterintuitive, if I start talking about things like sex or like girlfriends or boyfriends and stuff like that, I don't want that to get into an odd space. I think the fact that we were sort of unfiltered with each other contributed to us being able to all be amazing friends forever without any kind of, uh, oh, wait, I have different feelings for this type of person. And, I, and I'll, I'll throw that back to you because that's kind of my take looking back. And I'll use our group, like I said, as an example. But I think big picture, what, what are your thoughts on that from a male perspective? Let me know. Is that something different? Well, yeah, I mean, with with our group, I think the thought of any of us dating anyone else in the group would have been like me dating my sister. It had been like, oh, exactly. Oh, that's, that's my sister. So <laughs> that relationship with all of us, I don't know how it happened. It's kind of weird. Like I'm thinking about it. Like, how is it that right. nobody dated each other inside our group? I've been in other groups where some people dated, but it was like in our group, it never happened. Um, but I think also in today's world, we're, we're you and I are 22 now plus years outside of being single. Right. And it's a whole different world. We didn't have dating apps back then. I mean, we were living in the place where for 99 cents a minute, you can get on a, a, a phone chat with 20 other people. And I mean, that oh, was right? the closest thing to a dating app that we had back then. So it was always going and meeting people or dating someone from high school or you go to a party. It wasn't anything online. So I don't know what the challenges that single people today had that we didn't have back then, or it's easier or difficult, or it's more di easier to hook up now than it was back then, but have a good friendship with someone from the opposite sex, a healthy friendship that's just completely platonic, that might be more difficult now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Like my, my daughter's 16 and she, she has two very distinct friends groups. One is her, her athletic friends because she plays sports so her teammates and so forth that she's close with and then a group of friends in high school that she's male and female and they do everything together and it's interesting because um there have there's been one dating within the group that ended up just because they weren't a fit whether they were in the group or get to or not it ended up not being a fit but they all still hang out and one of the the people that was in that relationship has a partner, a different partner now. And that person sometimes comes to the group. And my daughter has said, I asked her, you know, is that awkward or is that okay? And she's like, well, it's, it was a little awkward for a while, but then it was like, whatever, everybody's doing their thing. And it became okay. Um, even things like homecoming and stuff now, you know, all these dances, they so many of them just go in groups of friends. Which is, you know, it's and, and so that's interesting is, you know, maybe we were ahead of our time with our friend group. You know, that that is also something prevalent today where groups of friends go to these things or do things together a lot that used to also be. Well, that's something a boyfriend and girlfriend used to do. It, it is very odd. But to your point, um, yeah, it's just so much. It, everything is so much more accessible. And I don't know that I have an answer to that other than. Think of them as your brother or sister and see how that works. Yeah. That was <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, uh, other than that, I'm sorry. I can't. You got to establish that they were friends right up front. I think there was one relationship in our group. Okay. And I think it involved you. Me? What don't Did I you? know? 
Weren't you dating with Mike Comet? No, we never dated. We were just buddy. We went to prom together, but as friends. Okay. And we hung out a ton together, but yeah. I yeah. date them like just weird. They're like good friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we had yeah. something for you. I don't know the guy. <laughs> so well, I can say that. Maybe. I don't know. I think yeah. he had well, eyes I mean, you. could you could you blame him? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, by the way, I, sure, I talk- you're my sister. I can't say that. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Don't tell me that. I don't want to know. Um yeah, by the way, Mike's doing well. He's lived in California for years. He works for Pixar. He's worked for them for years. Wow. Animator and producer. Phenomenal. So I'm so happy for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Get off my bus. Get off my bus. Talk to me. Well, that's a book he wrote. Yeah, I know. I, rem- I seem to remember that. Yeah, it was a while ago. Hey, yeah. Tell, me, tell us about the, the book. And that's the only book you've ever written at this point, Craig. Any, uh, tell us about the book and is there any desire to write another one? Yeah, so actually I've I've co-authored several. Um, I'll tell you the why I put Get Off My Bus out there. You know, back in, I want to say it was maybe 2010-ish when that came out. Um, and the, the reason that that came out was two things. One, you know, if, if you are really anything these days, but, you know, if you're a speaker, if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, if you're a certain types of people in business and stuff like that, a book all of a sudden at that point kind of became almost like a business card, right? If you could put a book together and say, oh, I'm the author of this, it, it kind of the perception was, oh, you know what you're talking about, right? Of course, anybody can write a book and anyone can publish a book. And there are some amazing things out there. And there's a lot of stuff that it's like, okay, <laughs> right? But anyone could do it. And I would say if you have a book in you, because most people do, please put it out there. You never know when one person looks at it or sees it or reads it and goes, I needed to hear that. Thank you. What or, do you think this is right here? This is my book. This is I I love it. My book is called it. Beyond the Summit. Hey, it could be like a like a chicken soup for the soul thing where you pull little tidbits out of things and let little pieces of stories create your book. Let it write it for you. It's amazing. Good stuff. What, what is your book about? So people so, they've been inspired by this podcast, they'd love to read a book. What is the book about and is it audio as well? Uh, I do not. I do not have an audio version. I've been approached a couple of times, but the, I haven't taken it on. Maybe I'll do that now. Um, the The reason that I wrote my book was because at some point I was talking so much, or doing because I talk so much, you know, speaking so much that every time I would I would do a workshop or a keynote or something, I'd have people come up to me and they were inspired, they were motivated, they were excited, they had stuff to do, and they would talk to me and say, "Okay, so so." I love this. I'm ready to go. What are the next things I can do? Or could you, you know, what can I go read? What can I go whatever? And I got tired of giving everyone else everyone else's books. All right, we'll go read this person's this or that person's that or go take this person's class. And I'm like, okay, business 101. My words just inspired them in this moment. I'm doing a disservice to them if I don't have something to say here, we'll, we'll take you to the next step or next level or whatever. And so I realized every time I was doing a talk, I was speaking my book, essentially. So why not just put it together? And so I did. And that was Get Off My Bus. And Get Off My Bus, the the title and, and part of the gist within the book is an analogy that that I use to help people really sort of, whenever you feel stuck, there are five questions to ask and answer about your bus that get you quick clarity. And so here's the analogy. We are born and we're bus drivers and every one of us has our own bus and we all drive our buses through our lives. Throughout our lives, some people come onto our bus, some people go off of our bus. Some people come on forever. They might move to the front or the back depending on where they are or where you are, but they're there. Some people come on for a moment and they're gone. Some people come on and go off and come on and go off. But at some point, if you don't start to take a little bit of an inventory and get curious about your passengers, uh, it's going to be really easy to get stuck. And so here are the five questions. Question number one, who is driving your bus? Are you still in the driver's seat or did you get up and someone else sat down? Did someone come and push you out of the driver's seat and grab the wheel and they're taking you in their directions? Who's, Who's driving your bus? Question number two is, If you look at the top of any city bus, of course, what's there? 
Where is it going? Destination. Where's it going? So question number two, where's your bus driving? What? Where are you going? And that doesn't have to be, you know, some final goal, some big destination. It could be, where are you going this week, this month, today, right? What, what you have to be moving in a direction if there are things you want to accomplish or do. And so where are you going? You got to get some clarity on that. Because if you don't, it's so easy to get stuck. Because when you come to a stop sign in life, which they're all over the place, if you if you don't know the direction at least you're heading, you're going to sit there and go, well, I could go right, I could go left, I could turn around and go backwards, I could just sit here for a while. You have no clue. If at least you know I'm heading that way, you can go through, once you stop, of course, go through the stop sign and, and continue and get a little closer to whatever it is you're trying to do. So those two questions are all about you. Third question has you turn around and look at your passengers. And the third question is, who needs to get off your bus? And usually I'll ask as soon as I say that, you know, who had a face or a name come to their mind instantly? Right? And, and almost everybody does. We know who these people are. And it's not that they're awful people in our lives. Again, if they are toxic, we're going to talk about you slam on the brakes, you open the door, and you kick them off your bus. But most people are just the people around us every day that just sometimes make us crazy. And so who needs to get off your bus could mean a couple of things. One, if someone truly needs to go away, it's your bus. Hit the brakes, open the door, kick them off. That's it. No is a complete sentence. Buy is a complete sentence. All of those things. You need to do what you need to do. That being said, you know, you can't kick mom off bus, right? There are people that are going to be there whether you like it or not. And so a different way to think about getting people off your bus is a lot of times if you're in the driver's seat and the person who's sitting in the front row that almost feels like they're grabbing the wheel sometimes and they're always right there is that person that you just are like, oh, I want them off my bus. Part of the reason they might be right up here right next to you is because you keep pulling them up there. And if you stop focusing on them, they naturally will drift back a bit. And what I mean by that is, let's say I get a phone call this morning from a friend who is on my bus, but is just, she's making me nuts, right? Just, it's like, oh my goodness, whatever the reason is. And I start my day like that, right? And I, I'm going through my day, and at some point in the morning, somebody says, hey, you seem a little stressed. You seem a little, what's going on? Everything okay? And I'm like, do you know how my day started? And we relive this conversation, right? And then we go to lunch with someone, and they're like, hey, you look a little off today. Are you okay? Oh, my God, do you know what she said? This is making me crazy. And you go through the whole thing. And then you come home, and someone says, hey, how was your day? And you go, first thing this morning. And you relive it. And so it's interesting when you stop and think about it again, how this person this morning was up here, but then as things were going on, I was going to other things. I kept pulling them back up here. And so again, it's that whole, how much of our stress are we creating? As opposed to going, that happened this morning. Let me take a couple of breaths. It's over. I have things to do and move on with my day. And when somebody says, hey, I, I, how are things going? You're like, all right, and move on because you're telling your brain you're fine as opposed to telling your brain all day, oh, this was horrible. Do you know how this started? And it doesn't mean anything. My wife is my rock. And so she's also the person that I feel like if I share it with somebody, it's going to come off my shoulders. But I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, why am I just taking my stress and putting it on her? How much, even though she's my wife, how much is she excited when she says when she sees David pop up on her phone because I'm calling to oh God, no, he's gonna lay now it on what? me all of the stress today and that's just giving me stress. So wow. I mean, yeah, if I can somehow give it to the world and not have to share it with anybody, that's gonna prevent other people from having to feel my stress and bringing people up to that front seat again. What's the next question? Right. right. And you know what? A quick, a quick footnote on that, and then let's get to the fourth question, is, you know, the, the irony is when it comes outside of your head, people often find it more humorous than stressful because inside we're making it so much. 
right? Like if I can't find my keys and I'm late and I'm running around and I'm so mad, I'm going to be late for this meeting. It's going to ruin my day and blah, 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 all this. And someone walks in and says, hey, what are you looking for? And you say my keys and they literally look in front of you and say, are those your keys? And they were sitting in front of your eyeballs the whole time. That's because inside of our heads, we are, again, in fight or flight looking outside. We can't see the simplicity of what's sitting in front of us, that someone else can walk in the room or pick up the phone and see. Do people have to put out their stress? I'm going to use the word bitch about things because they're looking for just justification from other people that what they're feeling or going through is actually justified. You know, it's a great question. Sometimes, I wouldn't say as a as an all the time thing, but sometimes, you know, you we all know people who I'm going to say vent or rant about the same things over and over and over and over again. And sometimes when people do that, it's because one, there's no resolution to it because nobody's buying what you're selling, <laughs> number one. Or number two, you are looking for validation. And if you're not getting it, you're going to go to the next person to try and validate it and the next to try and validate it. And so sometimes, absolutely. And again, that's one of those subconscious things where we're trying to go, if, am, I, am I reacting to this correctly or am I overthinking this? Am I really getting mad over nothing, right? Or am I not taking this that seriously? Because it can go both ways. You know, you're taking this too lightly. This is a serious thing. So sometimes we're we're putting things out to check with other people to see what's coming back at us. The problem is if we do that occasionally, that's amazing. Again, that's that sounding board thing. And I would say pick the people you do that with carefully so that you're not just lying out to everybody all the time and you're just the venter and the whiner and the complainer. But to be strategic about it, right? hey, can I run something by you? I want to check in for a minute with something I'm thinking. And go ahead and ask. People love to be in a position to help or give advice or say, here's what I think, or yes, you're spot on, or did you ever look at it this way? Or maybe this is going on? Because we'll never come up with that stuff on our own unless we can sit back and start to do that for ourselves, which isn't that easy. No. So I would say be strategic about that instead of just being on autopilot. And I and remind me of the vent clock. I want to share two, these two other questions, David, and then I have a cool tool to help with what we're talking about right here. Okay. So that third question, who needs to get off your bus? So determine, are people making you nuts on your bus because you're pulling them up to the front seat? Let them drift back. Refocus onto something else. And if something is truly not in your best interest, you know, you you got this naysayer, you got these negative Nellies, the people who are in your life always saying, this will never work. You'll never be able to do this. You know what? You can step off my bus or go sit in the back because I'm done. Right? Your, your opinions no longer mean anything to me. Because if you're not already doing what I'm doing or have already done it, your opinion about it doesn't really hold a lot of weight, does it? So that's okay. Thank you for your thoughts. Go sit down. Fourth question, who needs to get on your bus? And this is important because, you know, we again, we tend to focus as human beings on what's going wrong. Who's irritating me? Those are the things that tend to take up a lot of our mind, space, and energy. When you, talk, when you think about who needs to get on my bus, you know, you decided at some point, hey, I had, I did this podcast and you know what? I want to make it something more and grow it and do it differently. You probably at that point, because you weren't sure what you were doing right off the bat, had to go out and find people. Who's doing this? Who has done this? What works? What doesn't? What's not worked for you? I want to learn from that. What type of, of platform do you use? What type of microphone do you use? You know, what do you think? Do I like this format or that format? You go and start gathering people who know and can be helpful. And sometimes they're knowledge people. Sometimes they're they're people that make you you feel good. They're supporters. You know, they are the people who come and say, I don't know if it'll work, but try it. Give it a shot. I want to see what you do with it. That's awesome. Those people are just as important as people who know how to give you good advice because they've done something before. So those are examples of people who needs to get on your bus. Fill your bus with those people. Fifth question might be the most, most important for a lot of people. Whose bus do you need to get off of? 
And throughout our lives, we are stepping on a lot of other people's buses. They, are, they might be people, they might be organizations, they might be, you know, places we work, places we play, whatever. Every once in a while, you've got to sit back again and go, okay, what buses still are a fit? If I'm no longer adding value to it or it's no longer adding value to me, please step away because all that time and energy that most of us are looking for and sometimes money, oftentimes we're giving it away to things that aren't in alignment with where we are right now. They might have been two years ago or three years ago or five years ago or six months ago, but they're not anymore. And so give yourself permission to kind of do a bus audit every once in a while, bring them all into the station, so to speak, and go, okay, these buses I'm staying on, that's one I need to get on. These two, I'm ready to step off of because all of a sudden, oh, look, I got time, energy, and money back that I've been looking for. It was right here the whole time. I'm just not giving it away anymore to something that doesn't make sense for where I am at the moment. And those are the five questions to help you get unstuck. And help you live stress-free. I love it. That more confidence, less stress. Yeah. What was the yeah. other tool you mentioned? So the tool, you know, what we were talking about, it's so easy to just kind of vent sometimes. And as humans, we need to do that. Because if you're keeping it all inside, sometimes it's got to get out, right? That's not healthy. So however you choose to get that out, whether it's talking to somebody else professionally or just a friend or a family member, something like that, sometimes we don't have the luxury in the moment of going and finding the person that it would make sense for me to talk to in that moment. So I one of the things that I, I encourage every one of my clients to do is use their vent clock. And the vent clock, as I call it, is this simple. We all have these devices in our hands constantly, right? They're never far from us. They all have a little stopwatch on it. Go into your clock app or whatever, your alarm clock. And set the vent clock for two minutes. And then hit start, and you now have two minutes to vent about anything you want. Say anything you want. Just go somewhere where no one can hear you. Go ahead and get it all out. Just give yourself permission to dump it, brain dump, out of your mouth. And when two minutes is up, go do something. It's over. It's done. What you'll find is two quick things. One, even though in our heads something feels this big, when you start getting it out of your head and you start actually saying everything you need to say and getting it out, after like a minute, there's nothing else to say, you realize. I, thinking, I don't think I could run for two minutes. Exactly. And that's part of the thing is it feels like this in our head. When you get it out of your head, it's this. And so that perspective is I took this and in my head, I made it this. That was me. This is the situation. I did this. That perspective allows you to go, wait a minute, I'm creating a ton of this stress unnecessarily. So let me just get it out, just the facts, stop making things up and stories around the facts, just look at what's happening. The second thing you'll notice is once it's out of you, it's out of you. And it doesn't hold the weight that creates the nerves, the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm, the fear, the worry, all of that stuff comes out with it. So something as simple as that can have a huge impact. And you can even, you know, some people journal if that's something helpful. You know, again, that's a way of getting stuff out of you. I would say do a two-minute vent clock every day just as something you do. Check it off your to-do list. Whatever is in you that day, start getting it out and notice how much less stressed and a little more confident your day is when you just get that stuff out and move on and just take some action. It's pretty wild. Little thing that makes a huge impact. I'm going to try that. I'm going to start that today. Give it a sh- let me know how it goes. It's yeah, amazing. This has been some amazing teaching yeah. for the last hour. Really amazing teaching. And so if, if you're even considering Robin for your business or for your personal, I'll, take a look at the comments or wherever I can post her information, look her up, send her an email. Uh, I'll give you your personal number if you really want to, you know, prank her. <laughs> Maybe. I know we did that too back in the day. Um, but this is so important. And you think about when you hear a a speaker, how impactful were they? And I was, a, a few minutes ago, I was smiling and laughing because you said something 
The biggest quote I've always lived my life by since I was a little kid and still to this day, and my kids know it by heart, it's Zig Ziglar. And it's the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That has always given me direction. My main thing is my family. The main thing is to keep the main thing main thing. The reason I was smiling is because there's another thing I've always said to my kids that I never knew where I heard it from. And I've said to my kids when they've talked about their friends or things that, you know, oh, you know, I'll say to them, you're not going to be friends with them forever. In fact, my father Mm. once, it's maybe my my late father of 15 years, he said to me when I was a little kid, if you have three good friends from high school that you still talk to when you're an adult, you'll be the luckiest man alive. Okay. Which is true. I have very few friends that I talk to from high school. It's really true. Um, But I always tell kids, my kids, there's certain people that are going to be on your bus and one day they will be off your bus. And I never remembered where I heard that from. All this time, it was you. Oh my goodness. So what an impact Robin Sachs has made on my life without me even knowing it. And what an impact this person can make on your life too. So please look Robin up. Uh, Read her book. I mean, why not? Watch her videos. It's all free. Yeah, lots of free articles on the website, free videos, anything you need. I, I live on LinkedIn, share tips and tools all the time. So feel free. If I can ever be of help, don't ever hesitate. Share this podcast with people that you know that can use some stress-free living. Okay? So there's that. Robin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really can't... Uh, first time I've seen you in so long too. <laughs> I know, right? No. I, I'm so thrilled you reached out. I love this endeavor you are taking on. You're amazing and I can't wait to see what you do with it. And uh, absolutely, I appreciate you as always, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody, make sure that, of course, if you haven't already hit the follow button on Beyond the Summit that you do so, so you can hear a new podcast every Monday morning or anytime throughout your week, whatever you're doing. If you're not doing this, if you're not listening to this, you should be listening to, to Robin's or watching Robin's videos or talking to her. So there's that. There's nothing else to do in your life. Exactly. We're a one-two punch. We'll give it to you all. Stick with us. I like to give as often as I can. I don't do this on every podcast, but I like to give some sort of call to action for the week for myself, for all the listeners. So think about the power of the pause and also do your two-minute stress relief a day. Set your timer. Give it a try. And until then, we'll see you guys next week on Beyond the Summit. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Robin. You got it. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.